This is Deceleration, deceleration.news. This week, the Climate Justice Alliance, a national convening of frontline communities in San Antonio, and eyes forward to the upcoming International Climate Gathering in Egypt. Thanks for joining. Our communities are not just fighting the problems, we're actually building the world we need and that our communities deserve. And seeing each other's solutions and seeing each other's fight and, and creativity, I think is the incredible gift of our power communities. That is Christine Cordero of the Asian Pacific Environmental Network speaking to me on the Riverwalk here in San Antonio, Texas in the middle of October during the convening of the Climate Justice Alliance's Our Power Community Summit. The gathering brought together roughly 50 or 60 frontline community organizers from around the nation to reground the alliance and begin developing a collective response to emerging so-called false solutions to the climate crisis. I was invited in to produce a short video summary of the event that I'll be linking out to, but, but in the process I was able to observe the Alliance's process and able to meet a raft of amazing organizers who modeled their love for their communities, shared stories of their successes and ongoing struggles, and offered a vision of what frontline-led movement means as the global oil cabal not only resists a rapid transition to new and cleaner energy sources, but continues raking in record-setting profits, all while continuing to bankroll a soft coup in the United States. Yet hard winds come big and small, and as we prepare to see billions of dollars to begin flowing to local communities as a consequence of the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, the largest federal investment in climate action to date, we can expect challenging conversations and hard stops in some cases over the appropriateness and location of some of those subsidized technologies, even as, most critically, uh, we witness some of the worst manifestations of climate chaos arriving in nations around the world. These are not straightforward equations. Uh, carbon capture, for instance, can mean in Texas, uh, specific, you know, for sure, not only possi the possibility of prolonging the life of dirty oil and gas facilities, but new life to it, largely drawn out oiled wells through reinjection of CO2 and so-called secondary recovery of that oil. While CGA member groups rejected the IRA as be too beholden to industry interests, doing, as was asserted at the time, more harm than good, today we expect uh, that legislation to nudge the needle on near-term carbon reductions beyond what was possible before, according to the Congressional Research Services, which write that the number of analyses that they looked at um, concluded that baseline, like without the IRA uh, models, uh, carbon reductions between 24% and 35% by 2030 compared to 2005 levels, uh, we're committed to uh, a reduction, uh, this administration's committed to a reduction of 50% um, by 2030. Uh, with the IRA, it, that ticks up slightly, 32% to 40%. And so, um, you know, we'll see uh, what that may bring, but we do know for sure it will bring, uh, and already is, uh, some of these new projects. And in a local context, it's not always straightforward what they can mean. CGA members can celebrate their part in the failure of the dirty side deal to that IRA 
fierce opposition from many camps doomed West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin's slew of dirty energy projects cloaked in the package in a, a weakening of environmental permit review that would so detrimental, for instance, that our own abilities to resist um, pet extraction projects and pipelines in Texas would be uh, thoroughly complicated and vexed uh, beyond what it is today. One thing CGA members do exceptionally well is to drill into the popular understanding the reality of our nation's many sacrifice zones. These are typically communities of color and, and low-income folks who pay the cost for polluting industry with their lives. After so many powerful conversations covering the gathering, I really wanted to share what I could and, and, and to, uh, to communicate that these folks who communicate so well the values and processes by which CJ operates uh, deserves attention um, for the careful and heart-centered way in which they uh, really place the needs and interests of their 84 and growing urban and rural frontline communities, organizations, and supporting networks. These are just a few of those voices. The brief opening statements are to provide a sort of survey of voices from frontline climate communities. We meet here organizers from the Northeast, from the Southwest, from the West Coast, all talking about their respective local struggles and, and many recent wins, how they found in dialogue these realities reflected in other communities here at this gathering in San Antonio. And it's in this discovery of common challenges that lives an awareness of the power of solidarity. And, and, and among those we'll hear from Christian Rodriguez, Angel Ramos, Mackenzie Marshland, Alejandria Lyons, Ayana Grace, and Kat Ramos. I've set aside uh, additionally a lengthier interview just following that with Christine Cordero, who you heard at the top of the podcast. I wanted to highlight this interview for a number of reasons. The topics we get into uh, range, but are consistently drilling into key conversations taking place, uh, or which should be taking place in communities everywhere, which should uh, clear, uh, we should be clear, climate justice is far more than carbon and projects like the IRA, CGA, deceleration, will rise and fall, succeed or fail, depending on their ability to improve the lives of real people and of all their networked relations, right, of all of our families, human and otherwise, by that understanding. My name is uh, Christian Rodriguez, my pronouns are they, she, I'm with Ironbound Community Corporation, uh, we're based out in Newark, New Jersey. Hola, me llamo Angel. Hi, my name is Angel Ramos. I am from Providence, Rhode Island. I work for the People's Port Authority. My name is uh, Mackenzie Marsland. I'm the Climate Justice Manager for Florida Rising. My name is Alejandria Lyons, and I am the State Coordinator for New Mexico No False Solutions. My name is Ayana Grace. I use she, her, they, them pronouns. I'm originally from New York, but I moved to Detroit to be a farmer at D-Town Farm. I'm Kat Ramos. I'm the managing director of Richmond Our Power Coalition in Richmond, California. Some of the campaigns that we're actually working on um, in New Jersey is just pretty much trying to get our New Jersey environmental justice bill passed, right? Um, we've been working, we got it passed in 2020 and um, we're finally writing in, it into law and now um, we're just making sure that everything is going right, right? Because we have to be the ones, uh, you know, to set precedents uh, for that environmental justice bill to make sure that every other state in our country is actually, um, we're gonna do it right, right? We gotta get it right the first time around. For me, it's like, um, like all of our small stories definitely tie into a bigger, you know, campaign, a bigger a story that, you know, we've been distracted, we've been sacrificed so many times, and we're just tired of it, right? Um, 
And so, um, yeah, just being able to come together, right, and connecting that, like connecting the struggle that's happening here in San Antonio to, you know, you know, we, we do toxic tours, we do environmental justice tours, right? And so seeing the folks here in San Antonio do that, um, it just makes me realize, like, you know, all of our, like, all of our stories are definitely connected in some way, right? So for one example would be that they proposed a, um, an advanced recycling facility in, in the Port of Providence. Uh, for context, in the Port of Providence, there is an LPG site, liquefied propane gas. There's also a scrap metal yard. There is a tar manufacturing facility. And those are just uh, a handful that I can name uh, from the top of my head. They wanted to add an advanced recycling facility, but really what it is is a plastic burning facility. We're gonna call it what it is. Um, and we had four days, like three or four days to organize around this because it did pass in the house and uh, we did get a big win. Um, and they decided not to vote on it on, in the Senate this year, but uh, for next year, they're gonna reintroduce it and I'll be there when they do. There is a 40 year old incinerator in a, in a community in um, um, in Miami-Dade, in Doral, it's a largely Latinx community, and right now that their their lease is up uh, uh, with the uh, with that incinerator, and um, and we're we're actively trying to like not you know no get that thing shut down, um, while elected officials are looking to invest in an, another 1.5 billion dollars into a new you know trash burning incinerator. I remember talking to someone. And they said like, I, like he was, I think like 20, 23, and he was just saying like, I've been smelling this smell since I was four years old, and I don't know how that's gonna affect me in the long term, you know? So many of the conversation we've had as a coalition and with our community about just transition is, in order to reach a just transition, we have to evaluate all the issues and start with things such as colonialism to break down why, um, Capitalism affects us so deeply in places like New Mexico that are deemed sacrifice zones. And so in order to find the solutions, we go back to our roots, to land-based cultures, to indigenous cultures, to our ceremony, because that's ultimately what we're protecting, our land, air, and water, and why we're against market mechanisms, because they are offering that to a capitalist market. And our people understand that that is not what we want, because we want to keep those for our future generations. When you're doing the work and you're in the nitty gritty of it, it's so easy to become overwhelmed by what's not happening and all the things that used to exist and no longer exist, all the things that got shut down. You're like, okay, well, I like this idea, but I can already see the 15 ways it won't work. And then you come into spaces like this and you realize, oh, we're all on the same page. You hear stories of um, people ending certain levels of pollution in their area simply by relying on CJA. Like they were in that moment, they were crying in their office, they were like, what are we gonna do? And they're like, oh wait, I'm part of this network. That network comes through and then this is huge 180. Uh, we are nine community-based organizations um, that are moving just transition work forward, um, centering the community in all the ways necessary as decision makers, um, as folks who are bringing the vision forward and implementing you know, what we want to see Richmond be in the future. We have a big threat of a developer to our, our three acre farm under Urban Tilth, um, which is one of the community organizations there that has been there for over 16 years. Uh, we feed the community um, hundreds of pounds of food every month. 
um, hundreds of, of, of families are being fed and this developer um, was threatening the shading of the farm so it was going to destroy our ability to produce food and so because of our connection with CJA we were able to fight the developer to the point where we brought so much attention to their attempt at buying that land that was next door um, that they decided to pull out of the deal and so now we are in conversation with that family which is a it's, they're the Nebeda family, and they have been part of that community for 30, 40 years. Um, actually, more than 40 years. Um, they're a J Japanese family that has been um, part of that Richmond community. So now we can honor their story, the history of Japanese internment there, the history of that particular family, and get that property. Um, and so protect the three acres of the farm and still have seven other acres to work with that can go back to the community. And all of that would not be possible if not for our connection with CJA and their push and their support of our desire to, to gain access. In this conversation with Cordero, my small contributions have been largely uh, clipped out uh, to, to keep this tight and focused. Um, we examined several present challenges and opportunities labor solidarity and the importance of protecting workers through this coming energy transition, prioritizing community protection in the realm of housing and land projects, the importance of identifying and fighting false energy solutions, the development of resilience hubs, as we are starting to see even here in San Antonio with the Southwest Workers Union, who served, I should say, as the host for this CGA gathering, one of the original conveners, original members, and we'll hope to be speaking with them at some depth in a future podcast about all that they have going on. Lastly, I want to commend CGA and Cordero here for not just speaking to, but clearly enunciating the self-care as a real thing. Something honored uh, in the midst of a national conference is no easy thing. And in, in, in our own individual organizations moving forward, I hope. Deceleration, uh, some of y'all who have been with us for a while understand we uh, are continuing trying to remind ourselves that our health, our mental health, is not only uh, under attack by the design of broken and unjust systems, but increasingly, uh, I've come to believe through our current information war, mental and emotional well-being intentionally targeted uh, time after time after time, day after day, uh, to facilitate um, and, uh, the, a uh, fascist uh, coming to power. So with gratitude uh, for that being grounded, uh, Cordero's words on this are excellent, and, and I don't need to editorialize on that. I just simply will pass the mic. We've been working to build Asian immigrant refugee power for about 30 years, and we are primarily based in the communities of Oakland and Richmond, California, and we will be soon in Los Angeles, California. And I would say a recent win um, that we've had is in California, we are, we have a, a government and a political environment that knows that we need to transition out of the fossil fuel energy economy. And so our governor and the state has set very ambitious targets for vehicles getting electrified um, and what's going to come in. And one of the things that we were recently successful in doing is making sure that a lot of that investment goes towards BIPOC communities for for transportation so that the burden of paying for this transition is not gonna be on the communities that have been bearing the cost 
of the fossil fuel economy. And so in Richmond, California, we have our community members, our primarily Laotian immigrant refugee community that has been living fence line to the Chevron oil refinery. So we have been the hub of where a lot of the oil and gas in the state and in other places gets refined and produced. And so one of the things we really fought for and are still fighting for is that in California's ambitious plans to transition out of this economy, we are saying in order to do that, we actually need to look at how we are managing the decline of refineries within the state of California. So that means the workers who are currently in the refinery economy we're talking about the frontline communities who have a tax base that is often dependent on oil and gas. And we want to make sure that our communities actually get strengthened in the process of transitioning to this clean energy economy, rather than us bearing the brunt of the transition. So this is also true for the frontline workers, and we're trying to figure out how to work together to say that actually, as we transition into this clean energy economy, you cannot leave any of us on the front line behind. So we're really trying to come up with what does that regional economy look like. One of the things we're really trying to move our state and, and city and regional government officials and regulatory agencies away from is making unwise decisions in desperate times. So there's a lot that the oil and gas industry are peddling as solutions. So for instance, there's all kinds of technology of uh, carbon capture is what they say, or um, all different types of hydrogen, right? A lot of these things, in particular, hydrogen could potentially be something good, but a lot of these things are cover for continuing to use the fossil fuel infrastructure that exists in the state because they want to keep making their profits up until the very end, right? What we've seen is that they will go up until the very end and be like, no, 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 this isn't happening. And then they'll file for bankruptcy and leave the residents and the workers holding the bag, basically. So we're trying to do everything we can to be like, actually, we need to manage this decline away from fossil fuels towards a regional regenerative economy that actually works for the communities that are there. So we're really trying to envision what does it look like for a culturally rich immigrant communities, right, that is Laotian or Chinese, to be able to stay as the community ideally improves, right? So as we make our economy greener, as we get more opportunities, a lot that has happened in other places is those communities don't get to stay. So we're really thinking about what does it look like to have community-owned land projects. So one of the things we're, we're experimenting with in California is we've recently gotten our state government to invest about something like 270 million on demonstration projects for what we're calling climate resiliency hubs. So these are places in communities potentially that already exist, so it could be a school, a center, a church, or a new structure that could exist that acts as a place where community can gather, both in times of crisis and between crisis. So for in crisis, if you need battery, you know, storage energy for your medications or for your medical machines, or if you just need clean air when California is having wildfires, these places would act as community resiliency locations so that we can actually mutually give aid to each other in times of crisis. And then in between, it's where our community can build power, where we can gather and say, what do we want for our education? What do we want for our local transportation? What do we want for housing? And that these places actually need to be entrusted institutions all over. I mean, as we see these climate disruptive events continuing to happen, right? We're asking ourselves, how are we gonna take care of us? because part of what we've seen is that a lot of times our government can't move fast enough or they aren't prepared to, and so we're saying, we're gonna take that in our own hands 
And then we're also going to demand that our government also do that. But we want, we want to be able to govern ourselves in times of abundance and crises and say, we know that oftentimes no one's coming for us. So we got to have each other. So we're really thinking about that and trying to define what does it look like to keep our communities where they're at, that as we're improving them, we can stay. So we're really looking at what's the kind of housing people want. A lot of our, a lot of our members are multi-generational families, right? What does that look like? What does it look like? What is it going to feel like to not have to feel threatened that you have to move away from your community? So the, these are several things we're working on that we're really excited about. All of it sounds amazing. Yeah. You know? So that dream, yeah. that dream got seated in Climate Justice Alliance, CJA. So part of it, 10 years ago, when we started working on this, the hub idea was something that we were like, well, that'd be nice. Were you in CJA? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, 10 years. So to see us starting to make strides in it, right? But then you'll see the system try to pervert it, any good idea, right? So we're really making sure that that's actually, that vision is grounded in community still, and that it's not going to be something that, that kind of becomes this uh, greenwashing. Thing for, because that's also happening, right? So it's this beautiful dream that got seeded in CJA long time ago where we came together and we were like, okay, we gotta fight all this bad stuff, but what would it look like? And when we first imagined residency hubs, some of the dream is also like cultural centers, arts and healing justice, right? We, went, we meant the whole thing. We don't want just some place where we can get clean air, although we do want that as well, or a place where somebody can charge their cell phone. Although that's also very real, important for our youth. Um, but they, we were like, we actually envisioned something that's like, it's actually community infrastructure, right? Like, how do we actually be there for each other in all of those ways? So that's a dream that we get to see. Like now, several of us are like building it. Like, that's freaking amazing. So in Richmond, it's called um, the Rise Commons, and Rise is a local youth um, organizing group that, that, that originally started, that idea came about as a liberation and organizing hub for the youth. And then the Rise youth came together with the APEN youth, and we were like, why don't we make it climate resilient too? And so that, that vision kind of grew out of our young people. Um, so it was really beautiful. At APEN, we've known for a long time that we're not gonna do this work alone that that's actually part of the system that persists is making us think we are alone or that we're isolated, right? And the beauty of our power communities and Climate Justice Alliance is I remember, I remember very specifically in when I, one of my first CJA gatherings, um, we were talking with uh, some, of our, some of our folks from Detroit, Michigan, connecting with folks from Appalachia, Kentucky, and then Richmond, California, and being like, we're actually part of the web of the problem but we can actually be the web of the solution too. We were like, we're family in harm, but we can be family in healing. And part of it is actually supporting each other in our dreaming and our visioning, supporting each other and knowing that we're not alone in these issues, because that's part of how they think, how they make us feel like we're gonna lose. And so what I think is important about the our Park communities is we actually act as mirrors for each other to say, can you see how powerful we can be when we gather, when we tell each other the stories of the wins we have and not just the, all the ways in which our communities are dying, because there's that too, right? And there's community and grief, but I think where I have been especially grateful and we have been especially grateful for our power communities is our communities are not just fighting the problems, we're actually building the world we need and that our communities deserve. And seeing each other's solutions and seeing each other's fight and, and creativity, I think is the incredible gift of our power communities. I mean, I, mean, I think the, the only thing I would say that is a little bit 
that we've been dancing the edges around here, around our power, yeah. is part of what I hope all of us engage in is we and our movement is only as good as how much we take care of ourselves to actually exercise our power, right? To be in our power. And one of the things I wish for our communities is to also to also know that the system is trying to grind us down, right? Which means we have to get really serious about our health and our care because they're gonna make us feel like everything is urgent and we have to move at the speed of machines, which is what they've tried to tell us we are. Right. And part of reclaiming our power is saying, actually, you don't get to determine that I move at the speed of other than the human being that I am, other than the interdependent piece of nature that I am. Like, part of the extractive exploitative system is also showing on us, right? And so, one of the things I hope for all of us is that we understand how to regenerate our own power, which means finding our cultural and spiritual depths of power. It means going into places around healing that are scary and vulnerable. And we don't actually talk about in the professionalized, you know, nonprofit space. I think more and more people are now that that pandemic kind of peeled things open, right? But I think that's a part that's showing up really beautifully here that I, in that ceremony we did by the river, right? It's like, a lot of my hope and faith comes from us being like, our power comes from our being. Not anything we have to do to show our worth. And if we can continue to reaffirm that in each other and reclaim that and say that that kind of power needs to be fed, it needs to be cared for, it needs to rest, and then it can get back up and fight again, it can create again. But that we actually need to give it that full cycle. And part of feeding that power in each other is connecting with each other. And so I just hope we can continue to make space to do that. Well, financial issues have pushed deceleration as a whole uh, uh, to, to, to a slowdown and, 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 and uh, plan to relaunch in January. These podcasts, uh, you know, I, I, I rushed last week to produce one about a, a slate of candidates at the center of the U.S. oil export universe, otherwise known as Corpus Christi, who are joined together in, in, in their belief in that human lives and the environment were bound up within and a part of are worth more than uh, maximizing corporate profits. And here in Cordero's words, a critically important elucidation of that fact. I hope you caught it. are just joining us for the first time uh, check out deceleration.news you can find this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud check us out give us a review uh, and yeah if you're interested in volunteering or doing some freelance or contract work or kind of just figuring out how we can collaborate on creating a future um, that's good for, for all of us, for all of our relations, just uh, drop us a line at editor at deceleration.news. Thanks for listening.